HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country, to offering scholarships to high school students is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 summer drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member now. Welcome, everyone, to HRN Happy Hour. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Liz Mystic, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Jordan Warner, Hannah Forden, and Sarah McKean, filling in for Kat and Katie this week. Happy belated 4th of July, everyone. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, we know that the 4th was on Tuesday and isn't coming up, but we're still thinking about barbecue and brews and fantastic fireworks. And to celebrate America's... (laughs) This is America's 241st birthday. Happy birthday, America. HBD. On today's show, we're going to talk about some of our favorite fourth festivities, dishes, recipes, activities, and lots more. We're also going to give you a recap of some of last week's episodes and share with you some fun food-related events coming up. Later, Jordan will share an interview she did with Amy Littman, a food scholar and hot dog expert. Yeah. (laughs) They'll talk about the history of hot dogs, the annual Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest, and what hot dogs mean in American culture today. Then we're joined by in in studio by food blogger, health coach, and ultimate plant party host, Talia Pollock. Hey, Talia. Hey, girl. What's cracking? If you're feeling guilty or still pregnant with your food baby from Tuesday, Talia is going to tell us about how to more healthfully navigate your way through your next 4th of July. She's also going to share some of her favorite plant-based Independence Day and summer recipes and talk with us a little bit more about her endeavors as a blogger, a health coach, and a host of her own podcast series rightfully titled The Party in My Plants Podcast. Talia, that is the best podcast name 
I think it's so funny. <laughs> I am an avid listener, number one fan, right here. So. How often do you get a come again? Like what, <laughs> when Liz told me the other day, I was like, "Excuse me, yeah, what was that?" <laughs> um, and then to wrap things up, it wouldn't be an episode of HRN Happy Hour without some trivia. So we're gonna try to make Cat proud with Fourth of July trivia to see how much we really know about the land of the free and the home of the brave. <laughs> but first. We're on to HRN headlines. All right. We seem to be loving all things veggie this past week at HRN. As Japan Eats, Radio Cherry Bomb, and Tech Fights had some incredible guests come in and chat with us about both the beauty and benefits of a diet composed of mostly plants and how a veggie-heavy diet can improve all components of the mind, the body, and the soul. Host of Japan Eats, Akiko Katayama, discussed Japanese food, vegetarianism, and the art of perfection and balance with Guy Vaknin, owner and executive chef of Beyond Sushi, which has four locations in Manhattan. And Radio Cherry Bomb sat down with blogger and cookbook author Izzy Hossack to talk about her newest publication, The Savvy Cook. Carrie's second guest was the Queen of Green, Julia Sherman, and author of Salad for President, a cookbook inspired by artists. Tech Bites introduced the second episode of The B-Side, where Jennifer Luzzi and co-host Aaron Fair... Uh, Fairbanks of the Farm Report talked with some of our favorite fighters about how their culinary lives impact their competitive performance in combat sports. In the world of cookbooks, this week Eat Your Words featured guest Charles Perry, a culinary historian who has written widely on cooking in the medieval Mideast. He is the editor and translator of Scents and Flavors, a Syrian cookbook. The food scene had the chance to talk with pastry chef Stella Parks about her newest book project, Brave Tart iconic American desserts, including an explanation of her pastry program for serious eats and the lineage of the chocolate chip cookie. And Alex Brown of Cutting the Curd sat down with LA's, uh, oh, excuse me, Cutting the Curd sat down with Alex Brown of LA's Gourmet Imports about slinging cheese in Tinseltown and about his recent trip to Europe. Uh, Patricia, Patricia Kotowska, a uh, buyer at Italy co-hosted. Slinging cheese. Then, host Jenna Layut spoke with Bruce Friedrich on Eating Matters. At exec as executive director of the Good Food Institute, Friedrich strives to bring clean meat and plant-based alternatives to animal products to the market. Feast Meast West interviewed a celebrity chef and culinary ambassador of Thai cuisine, Jet Tila, to talk about his newest cookbook, 101 Asian Dishes You Need to Cook Before You Die. And as always, Dave and Nastasia on cooking issues took us on all over the map with questions like, can you copy recipes from your favorite chain restaurants? And how is tonkutsu broth made? To answer, they were joined in studio by Momofuku's former chef de cuisine, Nick Wong, and Dave's son, Booker. Ooh, quite a lot of headlines. Yeah. There's always Good a stuff. lot going on on Heritage Radio Network. Good stuff. We certainly are filled with excitement. Speaking of a lot going on. <laughs> as most of you know, I know everyone in this room is well aware, including David, um, that we're in the middle of our summer drive, summer 17 drive. Woohoo! Um, so that means that this year, between June 14th and July 31st, we're trying to raise $20,000. Uh, we need it. We need every, every dollar to uh, support everything that we do here on the station, from bringing you 35 weekly food shows to offering coverage of food conferences around the country to offering our Saxelby Scholars <coughs> program for, get it, for uh, New York high school students. It's, it's all based on the dollars that we get from um, 
members and our business members and our underwriters. So yeah, it all counts and um, we need your support. So I'm the current membership coordinator. So I've been doing this, trying to get members to donate to us for the past year or so. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm unfortunately leaving at the end of the week. So I'm passing the torch to Hannah, who can give Yay. us an update on how, how our summer drive is going so far. Yes, so we have had a really great start to our fund drive. Um, We're about just over $8,000 to reaching our $20,000 goal, Um, but we don't have very long to wrap it up. We, the drive ends on July 31st. So if you're already a member, thank you so much for your support. We really couldn't do it without you and all of our members and supporters. Um, but if your membership is expiring, don't forget to renew your membership. Um, and if you are no longer a member, you should join. And (laughs) to incentivize some of our, our new members this year, um, we got some sweet pins. They go really great on your denim vest. They go even better on your trendy backpack. Um, and then, of course, we have our HR and T-shirts. Um, and we have beer koozies to keep your hands warm and your beers cool. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of really great gifts available online, depending on the size of your donation. So um, you can go to our website, which is heritageradionetwork.org. And uh, make your pledge. Just click on the beating heart in the top right corner of your screen. Um, And you can get a subscription to Cherry Bomb magazine. You can get all sorts of fun stuff. And again, we really can't do it without your support. Yeah, thank you. So, moving on to some further events. On June 24th, Jordan, Hallie, Liza, and I made the trek to Greenpoint's Brooklyn Expo Center for the 2017 Good Food Mercantile. It was a fabulous display of wares and goodies from the top food purveyors and retailers from all over the nation. And you can listen to those interviews now at heritageradionetwork.org. Oh, I'm flashing back to all the meat and cheese <laughs> that I consumed that day and just want to go back. One of my favorite interviews was the one that you did, Liz, with the... With Lark Fine Foods. Lark Fine Foods, which their motto is cookies for grown-ups. Yes. And it took a while to figure out what that actually means. It's nothing scandalous, but they sounded really <laughs> I wish, good. I certainly wish it was. They have a new cookie coming out called the Teeny Cookie. And it sounds like a very sexy cookie, if you ask me. But Bob did not seem to enjoy my concept of sexy, sexy cookies. <laughs> but anyway. Um, coming up, the Foundation for New York's Strongest will be hosting the NYC Food Waste Fair which is also at the Brooklyn Expo Center. That's on July 24th from 9 till 6. You can get your tickets at eventbrite.com. And later this month, um, Heritage Radio is hitting the road uh, July 14th through 16th. Um, We're traveling to Denver, Colorado for Slow Food USA's Slow Food Nations Festival, a celebration of taste um, and an exploration Uh, And we're going to be able to explore a world of good, clean, and fair food for all. It's sure to be a blast. So if you are in the area, you should grab a ticket to feed your head, stomach, and also come by and say hello to HRN. All right. Now that we've talked about what's coming up, I want to rewind, go back, and talk a little bit more about the 4th of July. Did all of you guys have a good Independence Day? Yes. Yes. What was the the best thing you ate on the 4th of July? Hmm. Hmm. Honestly, I had some calamari that I had cooked and saved in my fridge, and I just heated that up, you know, put a little lemon juice on there, had some little squid tentacles. It was delicious. Very non-traditional. I like it. (laughs) Um, I went home to Cape Cod, and my mom had had a barbecue the day before, 
and she had saved me oysters. So I went home, I shucked 15 oysters. Hell yeah. And ate them all to myself. I got so <laughs> 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 I was like, that was too much. <laughs> Uh, I had a, a more traditional Fourth uh, of July experience. I went to a friend's house and we had a barbecue, but we got to enjoy um, a bunch of greens fresh from her mom's garden, mm. uh, including some edible flowers. So that was really amazing. And my friend made her some really delicious burgers. Would you call that a plant party, Talia? Sounds like one. For sure. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> super plant party. <laughs> I'm a little surprised that none of you mentioned hot dogs. I feel like that's all that I ate on the Fourth oh, yeah. of July. I do tell you. <laughs> but, um, as I was eating all these hot dogs, I start, sort of started wondering why hot dogs in my head were so essential to a 4th of July barbecue. And thankfully, I happen to have a friend who is a bona fide hot dog expert. <laughs> so I called her up, and yesterday we got together, um, and I asked her all the hot dog questions I could think of. Um, her name is Amy Lipman, and Amy is a former manager of Dat Dog, which is a really big hot dog restaurant in New Orleans. And Dat Dog is where she fell in love with hot dog culture, but now that she's a master's student in NYU's food studies program, she thinks that New York is the perfect place for that love to prosper. And she also thinks that hot dogs are a perfect topic for serious food scholarship. Uh, David, will you play that interview for us right now? Let's take a listen. Hey, Amy. Thanks for talking to me today. Hey, Jordan. Amy, why do we think of hot dogs when we think of the 4th of July? Honestly, we think of hot dogs on the 4th of July because of Nathan's Famous. Um, the hot dog eating contest is held yearly on that day, and it's broadcast on ESPN for all of America to see. So it brings every single person in America that has a television uh, to be watching Major League Eating on one day of the year, watching some guys scarf down 72 hot dogs. But... To be honest, um, historically, uh, hot dogs are a product of immigration, and when we had immigrants flocking to, to Coney Island, to New York, um, in the late 1800s, they uh, Germans brought with them sausages and frankfurters, um, and Charles Feltman is coined with putting the frankfurter in the bun, inventing the hot dog in 1867 on Coney Island. And so from Coney Island, um, we have Feltman's, and then we later have Nathan's, and then the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. On the 4th of July, all kind of ties it together to Coney Island, to America, to 4th of July. Wow. What's the deal with Nathan's? Can you give me the history of that? So Nathan's um, started in 1916 by Nathan Handwerker, who is an immigrant from Poland. And he came to the United States in 1910 by way of Ellis Island. And he soon worked around the city, having lots of jobs in the restaurant industry because he always wanted to have a job where there was food around. Because growing up in Poland, they were always very poor and he was always very hungry. So he eventually ended up getting a weekend job as a bun slicer at Feltman's of Coney Island, which was a huge restaurant um, down the block from where Nathan's currently is and always has been. Um, which started in 1860 by Charles Feltman, who is the one I mentioned inventing the hot dog. Uh, Charles Feltman and Nathan unfortunately never met as Charles Feltman died in 1910, and Nathan only started working there in 1916. Uh, Nathan got the idea. Him and his friend from work, Sam from Feltman, saved up $300 and bought the um, an eight by five foot space at the corner of Surf and Stillwell Avenues, where Nathan's Famous currently is now. But as of now, it's huge. It takes up the entire block. I bet the rent's higher now too. Yes. <laughs> as much. Um, so they got started there. He met his wife um, Ida, who became a huge part of the business with him. And 
1918, they continued to expand. She worked in the restaurant. Uh, the nickel was strong at the time, which is exactly how much they charged for a hot dog. The subway expanded to Coney Island in 1920, so they had every single person from New York uh, given access to their spot right across from the Coney Island subway stop. They kind of just kept expanding from there. Um, they have the hot dog eating contest. They have tons of franchises around the country. They're an international business. Um, they have a mobile sampling tour right now, which uh, they have food carts going around the country with Coney Island-themed attractions, um, trying to bring the nostalgia for Coney Island and Nathan's Hot Dog back, since I feel like the probably the majority of the population the last time we saw a Nathan's was just at like a gas station rest stop or something. We didn't go to Coney Island and we didn't have that same experience that people did um, in Coney Island in like the 1950s when Nathan's was like at in its heyday. Like it was crazy, crazy busy. They were just slinging hot dogs everywhere. And you were in Coney Island on Tuesday for the 4th to attend this year's Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest. Can you give us a report on the action? It was amazing. <laughs> um, I got stuck on the other side of the street from where the hot dog eating contest was held. Uh, and I had a nice 40 minute wait in a crowd just for those wonderful 10 minutes. But it was completely worth it. Um, I felt a little bad for the people that were going to Coney Island that weren't trying to see the hot dog eating <laughs> contest because they got stuck in the crowd. But it was great. Everybody in the crowd was really into it, cheering, um, getting pumped about all the different competitors. Uh, one of the guys competing was at least in his late 70s. Wow. Crowd favorite. <laughs> his nickname was The Locust. <laughs> and um, it was just an amazing experience to see Joey Chestnut live. Yeah, and he won, right? Yeah, and he won. Crushed his record from last year. So now the new record he has is 72, and that was also his 10th win. So he got the mustard belt around his around his waist for just one more one more year. And uh, the second place guy, who was a rookie, was really on his tail and has beaten him before. So... Next year could could be a bit different. Can you explain for our listeners what it's like to actually watch them eating these? Like I've heard that they dip the hot dogs in liquid. Yeah, so it some people call it disgusting. I think it's amazing. <laughs> it's entertaining. Um, so they just have trays and trays of hot dogs, um, and they usually eat the the hot dog and with the bun separately and dunk the bun into water. A lot of them actually have Gatorade, like blue and red Gatorade, which is yucky. But it ends up just kind of being like, a to be gross, a clump of wet hot dog buns that they're just shoveling into their mouth that's kind of dripping like a wet sponge. So that's gross. And then they usually hold like three or four hot dogs like in their hands and just kind of like chomp it all the way, <laughs> all the way down. Um, so much strategy. <laughs> it's great to watch. Um, it seems fun to be a ref. To yeah. just be one foot away from them as they shovel it in. But it seems like a really stressful 10 minutes for everybody else. Yeah, definitely. And when we were talking before, you started to tell me a story that has a little bit to do with the myth around this hot dog eating contest um, and maybe how many years it's been going. Yeah, so the Shea brothers have a really wonderful time telling the crowd that this past year was the 101st anniversary of the hot dog eating contest, last year being the 100th, 2016, since 1916, which is very exciting, but that is just not true. And I definitely yelled within the crowd, that's not true, when they were saying <laughs> how long it's been around. And I stand by that. So uh, the hot dog eating contest was actually only began in 1972, but they 
the old PR guys in like the early 70s just were like, oh, yeah, it's been a, the hot dog eating contest to this tradition. It's been around ni- since 1916. And they used that as like a tactic because like, oh, tradition, let's keep it going. Let's get everybody involved. Um, so they even they have like a very elaborately made up story about what happened in 1916. Like this guy, James Cullen from this country battled these two other people and ate 13 hot dogs in a matter of it wasn't even 10 minutes then. It only actually became 10 minutes in 2008 because at first Nathan just was worried about giving away too many hot dogs for free. So he kept changing the amount of minutes everybody <laughs> had to eat. Yeah, only started in 1972. So this is the 45th year. still a milestone. Kind of makes Joey Chestnut's 10th win even more significant than 10 out of 100. And I'm not going to burst everyone's bubble about it. Like, just keep on saying it's a tradition because that's a really good story. Uh, Nathan's has a lot of other... I have air quotes, really good story about um, their own company saying that like Ida, his wife, invented the spice blend for the hot dogs um, when they first got them, except Ida didn't even meet Nathan until two years after they had started. <laughs> they had started business and they were also just using the exact same hot dog as Feltman's at the time. Um, so they just kind of make up stuff to seem make like the narratives, the Nathan's narrative um really nice and easy and smooth and like kind of the American dream with like this immigrant coming through Ellis Island with $25 and starting this wonderful business. And a hundred years later, it's going strong, but I I think we're buying it though. I know. No, we're, (laughs) we're, we're eating it up, but it was just really, really amazing to dig so deep and really find out the truth. Yeah. Uh, what are your go-to toppings for a hot dog? Oh dear. This is quite a controversial conversation. This is a big question for me. Um, so my go-to when I'm just do like doing it myself or is like if I only have mustard around, just mustard. I prefer yellow mustard to the spicy brown. Um, and then otherwise, just like onions and mustard. And then if we're getting even crazier, we'll add chili, we'll add cheese, whatever. But at Dat Dog, for example, it was going to be like a Polish kielbasa with guacamole, sour cream, pico, chipotle mayo, barbecue sauce. Like, So I'm not opposed to all those crazy toppings, but I'll definitely keep it original for myself. There's a hot dog restaurant down the block from where I live in Crown Heights called Reservoir Dogs, and they let you freestyle your own hot dog toppings. And I thought that I was really smart by getting applesauce on my hot dog, but it was the mushiest hot dog experience anyone's ever had in their entire lives. got to be texturally sound, Jordan. <laughs> I learned my lesson. Do you think that hot dogs are part of the future of food? Or that they're kind of going to be stuck as a nostalgic relic of Americana and the past? I would say that I that they're stuck because as many meats as you can cram into a casing at a hot dog place, and even though it's technically a sausage, and, and serve it up with all your crazy toppings, it's the physical form of that, I'm going to say tube steak, <laughs> um, like in the bun is just what a hot dog was it, what it's what it is and it's like it, it, plain and simple it could be nathan's but if, if you get crazy with all the meats and all the toppings and try to like move it forward with all of the trends and all of the everything like in its true form and what you're really eating is going to be a hot dog and everybody whenever you think of a hot dog you tell someone you're having a hot dog no matter how elaborate or expensive it is you still think of that plain like beef or weird mixture of meats you don't understand like hot dog in in like a plain bun and so I don't think we're going to be able to like mentally move past that anytime soon which I think is pretty okay because it's just like a 
food for everyone and anyone. It's cheap and it doesn't have to be bad. It's not really made with all the worst stuff anymore. I think we can keep getting crazy, but it's it's not going to really stick or be that important for people. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for talking about hot dogs with me. Um, I learned a lot and now I want a hot dog. Thank you. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. All right, and we are back, folks. I just want to say thanks to Jordan and also thank you to Amy for allowing us to dive deeper into this wondrous world of wieners. But now (laughs) we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to talk to the queen of healthy eating, the lady that takes the hell out of healthy eating. (laughs) She is a food blogger, a health coach, a YouTuber, and host of her own podcast series, Party in My Plants. Not pants, plants. <laughs> and her name is Talia Pollock. Ooh, gotcha. <laughs> Welcome, Talia. How hey. you doing, girl? Great. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course, of course. We always welcome the foodie community here at Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> so why don't we kick this off by you telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, how did you become an eater that is mostly plant-based? Yeah, so most of my life I felt lousy. And I went on this epic journey where I went to every type of healer in the world to try to help me feel better. I went to acupuncturists, naturopathic doctors, gastroenterologists, uh, hypnotherapists. Oh my God. I was desperate, man. You know, yeah. they could make me quack like a, like a chicken, but they couldn't <laughs> help my stomach feel better. Oh man. So one day I was living in California and I stumbled into a raw vegan restaurant. Mm-hmm. had no idea it was a raw vegan restaurant. Someone just said, go in that place and get a coconut smoothie. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. I said, sweet. So I go in there. I order this coconut smoothie. It's this white, creamy thing. Gives you know, Someone gives it to me. And I push it back and I say, no, 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 I can't eat dairy. Because at the time I knew right. that this dairy was some culprit that was making me sick. They say sweetie, this is a vegan restaurant. I didn't know what vegan meant. This was before Beyonce made it cool. Ellen DeGeneres was vegan. This was before you could buy almond milk and gas stations. So I didn't want to cause a scene. Drank the smoothie. was the first time in over eight years that I didn't feel like crap after eating. So naturally dove headfirst into the vegan world, you know, drank the green juice till it was coming out of my ears. Nice. And um, yeah, that's, you know, I just never turned back from the plants. Yeah. I, yeah, you Why would I? <laughs> I know, exactly. You know, coconut, love all that good stuff. And I, you're also a big fan of the uh, pea protein waffles or the plant protein plant waffles? Plant protein waffles, yeah. I brown see those on protein. your Instagram like every day. I Almost saw your red, day. white, and blueberry one right? for the fourth. Right? Very thematic, very cute. <laughs> I certainly gave that the like. Thank I you. Certainly, uh, I certainly tapped that. Um, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about the fourth. So I have a feeling that that can be a little challenging for you at times. I mean, the epitomizing image of the 4th of July is the grill. So we're immediately drawn to those nice, juicy steaks and, of course, the hot dogs and the chicken wings and the ribs and all these meaty, meaty treats. So how do we... As eaters who are looking to be a little bit more plant-based and incorporate more veggies into our diet, how do we deal with that meat dilemma on the 4th? Okay, well, I have a few pieces of good news. First piece of good news is that plants grill beautifully. Mm -hmm. They taste amazing. So even if you're eating a burger or a hot dog, if you want to grill some plants like sweet potatoes or peppers or corn Mm -hmm. to have alongside... 
it, you're not going to, you know, feel deprived. Those are treats, mm-hmm. especially sweet potatoes. They'll taste like yes. candy, you know, oh, so, so that's true. amazing. And if you want to just make a meal out of that, go for it, you know, or supplement it. The second piece of great news is that there are some kick-ass veggie burgers out on the market now. Ooh, hit us with some. Well, everyone loves this Beyond Meat burger. Mm -hmm. I've personally never tried it, but people are loving it. Mm. People are saying you can't distinguish it from a regular meat burger. So that's one to pop on the grill this summer. My favorite burger is called Sunshine Burgers. That's a great brand of veggie burgers. There's Mm -hmm. also Hillary's Eat Well Burgers, another great brand. Mm -hmm. And you can make your own really, really, really easily. Like, there's... Some complex veggie burger recipes out there, but I don't like to be complex in the kitchen. Right. I don't know so, if I could master that bear burger, sweet potato, wild rice right? patty. No, I'm no, like, no. I look no. at it and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, that's why you buy it. <laughs> that's a Michelin starred burger right there. <laughs> totally. Yeah. But if you want to make your own, you can actually just smash up some black beans, add a seasoning, you know, like chili powder if you want, salt, pepper, and then add in a little flax meal. Mm. Roll it together and you can grill it and it's the real deal. That sounds absolutely delicious. Yeah. So speaking of all these yummy goodies we can throw on the grill and also because of our interview with our hot dog expert i want you to give us and our listeners some tips about purchasing you know those vegan meats especially the vegan hot dog right so there's one brand of vegan hot dogs that rocks this world it's a little challenging to find it's more at the little boutique stores it's called yeah dog D A W G. They are the this real. Is, this deal. is a bad and differ. bougie dog, <laughs> folks. Watch yeah, out for this dog. weenie. Yeah, it's like really made with sweet potatoes. It's a wonderful texture. It's delicious, and it won't make you feel like crap. Mm. So that's wonderful because those seitan hot dogs—that's a big thing they put in hot right. dogs. If you don't know, it's basically just gluten, right? Just heavy gluten that just sits in your stomach. And if you have a sensitive stomach, it's going to make you feel awful. Mm-hmm. Makes me feel awful. So I stay away from the Satan. It is Satan. <laughs> Never said that before. <laughs> um, but then you can, if you can do soy, there are some good soy dogs, quote unquote, mm-hmm. out there. You can look at, you know, your health food store. I think Light Life is a brand that makes a nice soy dog. Mm. Um, you can also, I mean, you can just put a carrot in a bun and like if that's your thing <laughs> I'm sorry I just had that. to laugh I mean, that I just had to throw that out there you see it at restaurants you know vegan restaurants are like a carrot dog now I yeah, mean carrot fries are a thing like, you know people yeah, do that so why like, not have a carrot hot yeah, dog but to make a regular hot dog even healthier you know you can throw on this fermented sauerkraut which mm-hmm. really helps with your digestion mm-hmm. it's packed with probiotics so it can actually help you you know, survive these rather unhealthy cookouts and not have to compromise your delightful hot dog. Great. That Thanks. was a great segue into something we didn't get to quite talk about before, which was favorite hot dog toppings. And I feel like it doesn't matter if you're using a carrot or <laughs> a gross <laughs> hot dog, but I would love to hear what everyone's favorite hot dog toppings are. I think sauerkraut's awesome. Yeah. I yeah. feel like yeah. we didn't say that, but that's like so that's one of my favorites. Sauerkraut, mustard. I know, Hannah, you have some serious thoughts on this. Well, so I'm originally from Brooklyn, and my whole family is from Brooklyn. And so, like, Nathan's is from South Brooklyn, especially. So uh, Nathan's is, like, a very important part of our culture. So uh, I know that, like, if, if anyone in my family sees anyone putting anything other than mustard... Maybe some relish, maybe some kraut, sauerkraut, but God forbid you put ketchup 
on your hot dog. <laughs> Uh-oh. And oh, you'll really? Get, uh, yeah, you will get sternly reprimanded. It is sacrilege. So, you know. <laughs> so like, why, why is that? Because for, for me, I'm pretty vanilla when it comes to the hot dog. Like, I just go a little bit of ketchup on the right, a little bit of mustard on the left, and then just <laughs> die the emoji. There. No, I'm sorry. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that what got Obama into trouble, yeah, putting mustard on saying, his hot dog? I was oh, saying that oh. earlier. There was, like, a whole scandal it was, about... It was ketchup. Oh, it was ketchup. It was not mustard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's because it's, it's, it's just... It's no, non-traditional. No. Well, I'm from Pittsburgh. You know, I got to rep Heinz all the time. I right. got to ketchup on everything. Yeah, you know. know. You know. True. Has anyone had a Chicago dog? Like, does anyone have serious feelings about that? What does that mean? With, like, it has, like, the sport peppers and, like, that blue relish and, and tomatoes. Yeah. And it's, like, it's like a decked out hot dog. Well, it's like a sausage, isn't it? It's not, like, a proper... I think it's a hot dog. It is. Okay. I feel like we need I've never had one, but I drew one in my inequality in the food system class <laughs> as a metaphor <laughs> for problems in the industrial meat industry. Nerd alert. <laughs> so I remember what the topic the toppings are, but I've never Was the blue eaten. relish on there? Um, it was not blue. It was like neon green. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. If it, it looks like disgusting. Yeah. Like, that does not sound appealing. No. <laughs> you need to call Amy. Yeah. We, we have more questions. Yeah. Yeah. Help us. Send help, please. <laughs> Um, so, uh, my last question for you, Talia, do you have a favorite 4th of July recipe of your own besides your red, white, and blue protein waffle? Right. Those are great. But you know, my thing with 4th of July is there's enough people on the grill. There's enough stuff on the grill. Work on dessert. Oh, right, bring okay. a healthy dessert because there's not usually a healthy dessert option. True. So you can make your own popsicles. You can really just make a smoothie and freeze it in a popsicle mold and it's healthy popsicle like a green smoothie you know you can just mix coconut milk with fruit make that into a popsicle so that's a great way to go i also love to make a red white and blue berry crisp oh so it's like strawberries blueberries and then all fun toppings like nuts and rolled oats and coconut sugar and then you got to have the white topping so like maybe vanilla ice cream or you can make a cashew cream or there's vegan whipped creams out there or just regular whipped cream if you want to roll that way what do you do about the butter like coconut oil They actually also make butter-flavored coconut oil now. Is that good? Mind-blowingly good. (laughs) Wow. That's wild. You can put it on popcorn. It's the real deal. One last question about um, hot dogs and vegan hot dogs. Have you had tofu pups? I've heard of it. I I don't eat a lot of processed Terrible. Yeah. Okay. Just just stick with (laughs) the grilled veggies. That's what I would do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. We'll eat our we'll eat our carrot dogs and be happy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Talia, thank you so much for your wisdom and. Thanks for bringing us in on your little plant party. Tell us how we can learn more about you or get in contact with you. Yeah, um, it's Party in My Plants all around the town. Yeah. So Instagram <laughs> at Party in My Plants. My podcast is the Party in My Plants podcast. My website is partyinmyplants.com. Of course Easy. it is. Thanks yeah. for making it easy. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. All right, guys. We're going to move on to some 4th of July trivia to see if you are a true American. (laughs) So I've got some questions for you. So you gotta show me what you got. Are we keeping track of points? Like, how does this work? I've never done it. No, we don't. Um, I get, like, we could do points, I guess. That's too much But We get really excited when we get get into this. Let's dive right in. All right. Question number one. How many people signed the Declaration of Independence? I say four. Right? No, it's a lot of people. I feel like it's like 12 or more. I was going to say 50, but I know there weren't 50 states when it started. Talia? No, I'm not even going there. I don't know. Give us, give us a I number. Yeah, but it wasn't give one person per state. Is it yeah, double digits? It is double digits. Is it less than 20? 40. 
56. Oh my god! Oh, so close. What? Yes, Jordan won that one. <laughs> it's all right. This guys. isn't prices okay, right. So, as of now, we are one not dollar, American. One dollar, Bob. <laughs> Moving on. What were the consumer sales of fireworks for the Fourth of July of 2016? Like a billion dollars. Two billion. I say 275 million. 500 million. 20 million. All right. And the answer is $675 million. In the U.S.? USA. In the USA. And that only counts the states where you can actually legally buy fireworks. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Question number three. Uh, so apparently there's a phrase that goes, as American as apple pie. Have you guys heard of this phrase? <laughs> yeah, I have yes. honestly, like, I've never heard of it. What are you talking Where, about? You I doing? really have never heard that phrase before. Listen, if you don't like America, you can get out. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out that apple pie is not actually American. So do you know where the apple pie originally came from? France. Oh, of course. <laughs> Uh, Any other? Come on. I Germany. That, I was so confident. I'm going to Denmark. answer. Tar, tar, tar. Denmark. Well, the early European settlers were the ones who brought many kinds of apples to the colonies, along with the original recipe for the pie, and that only one breed of apple is indigenous to North America. So do you guys know what that apple is? Cortland. Cortland? That was confident. I was very confident. Is that the same as the crab apple? Because the answer is no, crab uh, apple. No. <laughs> wait, wait, That's I sort missed, of a trick question. Wait, I missed which country brought the yeah, pie. Yeah, which country? Yeah, you, didn't uh, you know, honestly, the internet didn't tell. It said just <laughs> European settlers. Yeah. I was so sh- I know. I was so shocked. I like found this que- uh, this question on like every single American trivia site, and every answer was like European settlers, European settlers, European settlers. So Does like, that mean British? Or yeah. Right. Sh- yeah. Like how? When in the timeline? Yeah. But crab apples also don't taste good. Yeah, they're disgusting. Hence, crab apples. Like, yeah. <laughs> they make there, great There's cider. a warning in that name. Do they taste like crabs? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so, there's a one in three chance that your hot dog or your pork sausage consumed on the 4th came from this state. But do you know which state? Oh God. Oh. Iowa. Nebraska. I like Nebraska. I'm do you like Nebraska? Nebraska? Illinois. Arkansas. The final answer is Iowa. Oh. Sarah. How do I know that? <laughs> Sarah's a I still like Nebraska. I literally said that and I was like, was that me who said that? Like, I just, out of body experience. Well, Sarah, you are correct. <laughs> Iowa is home to an estipa- estimated 19.7 million hogs and pigs, and that's nearly one third of the nation's total. Wow. wow. That's a lot of pigs. Yeah. It turns out Americans eat about 155 million hot dogs on the 4th of July alone. <laughs> and for the whole month, it's $2.3 billion. How Ooh, many of wow. those are at the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest? Oh the most constipated well, month of the year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that ends our trivia. So it looks like Sarah is our winner. Really? The only one who got it. <laughs> one question, question right? right? only correct answer. <laughs> nice. But, you well, know. Standards up in here. Sarah's Sarah. Sarah is the true American. Yeah, true only. American. Wow. <laughs> Um, but I actually have a fun fact for you guys about the 4th. Let's hear it. And it turns out we may be celebrating America's birthday on the wrong day. <gasps> what? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> Thank you. 
I, you know, I was really waiting for that. I was, thank you very much. The thing that's a bummer about that is it really wasn't very long ago. So it's, it's kind <laughs> of embarrassing. You, you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. It's not like we're from this ancient culture that's been around for centuries and centuries or millennia. Exactly. So where's the discrepancy? So it turns out that we only celebrate um, the 4th of July on the 4th was because that was the date on the Declaration of Independence. But apparently July 2nd, was the date uh, the re- uh, the declaration was approved in a closed session of Congress. Ooh. So that's why there's this debate. But historians also think that the declaration was actually signed on August 2nd, 1776. Oh, August. I was that's kind of worried late. that you were going to say, like, March 3rd. <laughs> or, like, <laughs> I February. No one wants to celebrate during those months. Yeah. Um, August is too late. August is July is perfect. A lot of yeah. in the middle. Yeah, yeah. because a lot of people it. like perceive Fourth of July as like, oh, summer's summer is officially starting. Yeah, yeah, I totally do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Let's keep it. Let's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've made an executive decision <laughs> yeah. to keep yeah. this holiday. This closed yeah. session of HRN <laughs> happy hour. Well, I think that that wraps up my trivia and my fun facts. So. I think that wraps up just about everything for us here on HRN Happy Hour today. So don't forget, uh, don't forget to uh, go to heritageradionetwork.org and make your donation uh, before July 31st, or if you're already a member, to renew your membership because that's the only way that all of our amazing shows are going to stay on air. Come on, y'all, drop some dollar bills on us, (laughs) (laughs) or you can upgrade. (laughs) Yeah, that's always let us upgrade. upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. Super pledge. And I'd like to thank Talia once again for coming and being Aww. our guest. It was terrific having you. Thank Thanks you so, me. so much. Yay. Thanks to David for putting up with us in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, and a thanks to Amy Lipman for knowing everything about hot dogs. Mm-hmm. And my final thank you is to Kat and Katie for trusting us to take over yes. this show today. <laughs> uh, we didn't burn the studio down. Hopefully so that I, trust was not misplaced. <laughs> <laughs> Hope we made you proud, guys. Mm-hmm. Hope we right. made you proud. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Fresh Pickings is a podcast by Heritage Radio Network presented by Bob's Red Mill. Love learning about food? Get more superfood for your brain with the featured podcast miniseries, Fresh Pickings. Go to bobsredmill.com slash fresh pickings.
Are you confused about the difference between muesli and granola? Welcome to Fresh Pickings. I'm your host, Kat Johnson, and today we're going to help you sort out that difference by doing a deep dive into the world of muesli. On Fresh Pickings, we're taking a closer look at everyday ingredients, and muesli is full of some of my favorites. On this episode, I'll talk to Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past, about what makes muesli muesli. We'll talk about its old world history and how muesli is made in different parts of the world. Then Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene, is bringing us a very special interview with Bob Moore, the founder of Bob's Red Mill. There's so many nice ways of eating well, eating good whole grains that are healthy for you. Stay tuned. So on my show, HR and Happy Hour, I love to play trivia, and I like to write it for the people on the show with me. So today I'm going to have our engineer, David, play a little trivia with me. David, are you game? Okay, Kat, I'll give it a shot. I'll say a characteristic, and you tell me if I'm describing muesli or granola. Got it? Got it. Okay. This is made of oats, nuts, seeds, and fruits. Granola. Actually, it's both. Wait, so they're the same? Not exactly, but they're both based on the same ingredients. So what's the difference? All right, dude, I'm asking the questions here. Uh. Next one. This breakfast item can either be served cold or hot. Muesli. Uh, Wrong again. It's both. Uh, I don't like this quiz. It's okay. I have to admit I wasn't being very fair. Muesli and granola are very, very similar. The biggest difference is that granola is baked and muesli is raw. You'll usually find that muesli is looser, but that's because granola is made with sweeteners and fat, which would either be butter or oil, and that binds it together in clumps or clusters. Either way, though, they're both a great breakfast. The invention of muesli is credited to Swiss physician and nutritional pioneer Maximilian Bircher Benner around 1900. That's Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past on Heritage Radio Network and our resident food historian. His original recipe consisted of oat flakes, raw apples, condensed milk, nuts, and lemon juice. The first muesli was based on the diet of alpine shepherds, who Dr. Bircher Benner saw as being particularly virile and healthy. He prescribed muesli to his patients and saw overwhelming improvements in their health. Dr. Bircher Benner determined that much of the sickness experienced by his patients could be alleviated with increased exercise and a more nutritious diet. So how did Dr. Bircher Benner come up with the name muesli? Well, he originally called his concoction Dishpies, or The Dish. It was later referred to as Bircher Muesli, and eventually just Muesli, which means mix. Okay, so is Muesli just a European thing? Muesli is wildly popular all across Europe, but it picked up significant popularity in the U.S. in the mid-1960s, with the increased interest in healthful eating and vegetarian diets. The first mass-produced muesli was introduced in 1959 by Somalon AG, now Biofamilia AG, a Swiss company that got its start with muesli. Somalon AG used Dr. Bircher Benner's recipe to create 
Bio Bircher Muesli, the healthy food for the whole family. Bio Bircher Muesli was exported to Germany, the U.S., Austria, England, and the Netherlands in 1960. In the 1970s, Somalon introduced Crunchy Muesli, a muesli toasted with sugars and oils similar to today's granola. The product was introduced in response to U.S. taste preferences. I wanted to take a closer look at some muesli options that are readily available at stores in my neighborhood. After browsing the shelves, I came across Bob's Red Mill's full lineup, from gluten-free muesli to old country style. Each is made with wholesome ingredients, just as nature intended. And since they're made with whole grains, they're also a great source of fiber. Today, instead of bringing in a chef to give us a recipe, we have a real treat. Our very own Michael Harlan Turkel, host of the food scene on Heritage Radio Network, recently visited Bob Moore at Bob's Red Mill to learn about the origins of his muesli recipes. Ah, we found that. We were to bed and breakfast in Scotland, no less. I think it was Elgin uh, up in the top uh, by the North Sea. And uh, they served this, this delightful whole grain Muesli, she says, something like that. She had a funny way of saying it. And I, I couldn't understand what she was saying, so she went in the kitchen and got the box that it came out of. And now I see it came from Switzerland. And it was muesli, that we're, we say muesli. And it means grain. And I looked at the box, and I thought, well, this is, this is amazing. It's got all these wonderful ingredients in it. It's a, it's a lovely cereal, and it's very healthy. So uh, I brought it back with me from from Scotland in the early 80s, and uh, it was a product from Switzerland, and it was called Swiss muesli. Muesli. <laughs> and how do you prefer to eat muesli? I just, I, I'm the old-fashioned. I like to cook it. I like The longer you cook it, the better it tastes. So I don't quit worrying about trying to jump out of bed and run out and get in the car and eat something on the way to work because it's not a very healthy way to live. You need to set your alarm back about 15 minutes and or soak it overnight. You can do that too. You can take a wide-mouth thermos and you can put a certain amount of the muesli in, the, in there, put a certain amount of water in there, hot water, and then you can stir it all up a little bit, put the lid on, leave it on the sink. The next morning you can heat it up in a microwave, uh, it's got it there's so many nice ways of eating well eating good whole grains that are healthy for you thanks to michael harlan turkel for bringing us that wonderful interview with bob moore well that's just about everything you could want to know about muesli if you liked what you heard be sure to check out our other episodes of Fresh Pickings and learn more about Bob's Red Mill's favorite ingredients, including some delicious recipes and great coupon offers, by going to bobsredmill.com slash freshpickings. Bob's Red Mill believes in good food for all. For Heritage Radio Network, I'm your host, Kat Johnson. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>